So brothers and sisters in Christ, would you take your Bibles, your devices, and turn to, this morning, John chapter 1. We're going to take what's known as a biblical theology. That's where we see the story of the Scriptures unfold. There are so many different tiers of how this story unfolds. And today we're going to see the story of the Scriptures unfolds as it relates to exactly what is on the screen in front of you right now. The Lamb of God. Alright, so I pray this. Youngest to oldest. Teenagers here this morning. Elementary school students. family members, older adults, it's time to put our thinking caps on. You ready for this? All right, so I was thinking about this this week. I mean, we can kind of, I could create some really cool little ditties and stories and bring them on Sunday morning. We can kind of dance around those a little bit to try to entertain. I'm going to tell you, we've got 45 minutes to dig into God's Word. So we're not going to take this lightly. I was tempted this week to kind of just touch on a couple passages. In fact, I was telling some and just get so stoked to preach. And I'm like, there's no way we're getting through this. <laughs> we'll be here till next Sunday, which might not be so bad, but um, there is, it's not going to work. I was working. This is part of a two, three, or maybe four week series on the Lamb of God. Please understand that. We're going to just jump into that today. When we get around the time to close here, I'm going to shut, up, shut, shut down shop, and we're going to come back next week and study some more about this. So I hope you're ready. Uh, we're going to try to get through that first main point there on your pages, but um, we'll see how, how that goes this morning. All right, so as we, as we continue on our study, through all the mess of the world we live in, our faith is constantly being tested, and I'm telling you, as soon as I, I, I swallow some of this nonsense going on, as I watch conventional you know, news, and I just see what's happening, I'm like, oh, are you serious? And I finally process it in my mind, and I and of the world going around. I try to watch some of that liberal media every once in a while just to see how nonsensical. When I go to that, it takes me a good 24 hours to pray through it and process it and think, really? Okay, God, yes, you are in control. But that's stupid. <laughs> so it takes me a good 24 hours or so to process it, and then I dare to like, oh boy, here it comes. I'll watch it again. Oh, and it fires me so much in the next 24 hours. It's like, what more can we do? And so as I walk through this, there's the, there's the exhortation of Scripture is not try to process this all through my finite mind. How am I to process these things? Well, Hebrews tells us very clearly how to process the nonsense of the world around us. As our faith is tested, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. Well, that's this whole study. We're just taking snapshots of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So if you're joining us here and you haven't been here yet, we are in week 11 of these snapshots of Jesus. And I'm telling you, my heart has been so full. This week, in, in, in just... In just overwhelming fashion, constantly, every day, when, when, when a sermon is preached, it's a development in my mind. All the way from, I was just talking to Grant, from Sunday morning, when I get home this afternoon, my mind's already going for next week. I'm starting to manuscript and look at passages like, well, it's a build all the way through the week. 
by Sunday morning, it's like game day. It's go time. And then Sunday afternoon we get back into it. But my heart has been overwhelmed with this topic this week. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. This key idea, as our faith is tested, which it is, we must fix our eyes on the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Of sheep. A lot of different things. All right. Maybe one of your first thoughts would be, ah, that cute, right? Uh, maybe that comes to mind. Maybe uh, a number of different things. When I see sheep, and I've interacted in the wilderness sometimes with these uh, massive herds of sheep that these uh, the South American shepherds would come up and, and graze the sheep in the wilderness. It was really cool. But they would get lost in, in the mountain area, and you watch these sheep. And when I think of sheep with coyotes and wolves and that type of thing, here's the word that comes to my mind, vulnerable. All right? they're, they're not fight animals, and they're really poor flight animals. They are absolutely vulnerable. I mean, when I think about these things, though, these sheep... Uh, whatever description comes to your mind, whether it's cute or vulnerable, and then I travel through Scripture this week reminding myself. I was reminded of, of, of one word. Necessary. Alright, to the Jewish... Think about this physically. This is what God would use to sustain these people, their herds. All right, even think about the people in the Old Testament. God was constantly advancing His covenants. His plan, I should say this, His redemptive plan through covenants. I think we've, we've talked about this enough where we can understand that. He is advancing His plan of rescue going to Jesus Christ. On the trajectory to Jesus Christ and how God Almighty through His sovereign plan gets there is through covenants. Well, think about every single one of these men, the primary covenants in the Scriptures that God advances His covenant through. We're talking about Abraham, Moses, David. Every single one of these men, shepherds. God chose to... And, and, and think about the shepherding thing was not the most prestigious trade in the world. It was not one of those things where like, what do you do, shepherd? Woo! Climbing that ladder. No, this is one of those things in that ancient Near Eastern world where it was, it was not prestigious, but it was absolutely necessary. Necessary for so many reasons when it came to the physicality of what they did. Okay, that doesn't even go for saying that this lamb, these sheep, were spiritually necessary. Think with me about the Scriptures. I mean, this is all the way through the Scriptures. Overwhelming obvi overwhelmingly obvious that in the Old Testament, a key aspect in worship of Yahweh had to do with sheep. Lambs. And actually, as we take the step further, it had to, if you put a description right before sacrificial lamb. Everything that these Jewish people would do. 
especially as related as we travel through the Old Testament, we come to the tabernacle and later the temple. Everything they did had to, like, revolved around the sacrificial system. And the sacrificial system revolved around the lamb. I mean, if we just travel through, you guys, we got your, our thinking caps on? All right, start at the beginning of your Bibles. The first death ever recorded after Adam and Eve sinned was the death of an animal. Why? To clothe and cover Adam and Eve. This sets the pattern for Genesis 4. All right? We don't find the record in Genesis 3 and 4 about what Adam and Eve taught to Cain and Abel. But we do know there was some information passed on from Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel. When you get to Genesis 4, we have this offering to the Lord, to God Almighty. You remember this offering? Cain, kind of maybe a bit more flippant about it, just threw some of his fruit on there. And there's, there's a lot to this, so I'm just kind of flying through it. Threw his fruits on there, fruit, through his, 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 the, the, the product of his work on there, Abel actually, I believe, took serious the instruction of his mom and dad and found the appeasement on this sacrifice from a lamb. Abel, known very clearly in Scripture as the, the keeper of the lambs. I mean, so we're only in Genesis 4, and we already find the sacrifices this sets the stage for the rest of what we find in the Torah. In the Torah, we have constant talk of an offering. And this offering was a burnt offering to God. Um, there are so many offerings you can find in the Scriptures, but this one is, is actually amazing. I wanted to find a picture. By the way, any of your parents here, have, have you read to your children? It's called the Lamb Book. You know who I'm talking about, Cross? This is one of the most... Uh, helpful books ever for children. Uh, get your hands on it if you can, parents. I'll try to bring it next week if we can find it in uh, our library right now. We've read that thing over and over and over again. Um, the lamp. But at any rate, there's a picture in there of a person placing animal. And actually, the terminology might not be adequate. It's almost like you're leaning into the animal. Why? Because there's a bit of a, tr a symbolic transfer over to this animal. This animal then was a sense of a burnt offering to worship to God. I mean, this is in the Scriptures. Through the Scriptures, we find this appeasement, this transfer over to this animal. Well, if you get to... All right, we, we can jump from, Exodus, uh, from Genesis into Exodus. The story, I mean, we're, we're making massive jumps right now, all right? But in Exodus chapter 12, remember what happened, and we'll get to this more in just... In Exodus of Egypt, remember this story? This is one of the most beautiful descriptions ever. We now are introduced to another lamb, another aspect of this lamb, and this lamb is known as the... Passover lamb. If you travel now from more of a historical account in your Bibles to more of the dynamics of the Old Testament law in the Scriptures, the lamb is all the way through the Old Testament law. We're talking about the guilt offering, the sin offering, and, and both of those in Leviticus 4 through 7. I mean, even before you get there, to offer lambs, morning and evening, Every day, 
I mean, even to a certain extent, there's the beauty of this scapegoat release. Remember this in Leviticus? Where you have this, this animal that's let out into the wilderness? I mean, it's all the way through this. And the anticipation doesn't let up. We go straight from the people of God in the Old Testament. God's chosen people worshiping, surrounded around these lambs and the sacrificial system. We come now to the prophets. The prophets who are, who are foretelling of God's Word to these people. And what do these prophets do? I love it. You know what Jeremiah does? The lamenting prophet? He shares with us a glimpse. We're constantly thinking more about that Messiah, that Messiah. Jeremiah and Jeremiah 11 references the gentle lamb that is led to the slaughter. Doesn't that, that remind you a little bit of another prophet named Isaiah? Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. The most messianic passage in all of the Old Testament. As a suffering servant lamb. children of God took lightly the lamb would completely misunderstand their way of life. The lamb was integral to everything they did. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it's no wonder that as we travel from the Old Testament into the New Testament to this evangelist, John the Baptist, this crazy dude out in the wilderness, it's no wonder that when he spotted Jesus Christ, what did he say? Behold, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world to the next day to two of His disciples. And I, and I love this because John the Baptist had disciples, followers. He was teaching them this way of repentance. But it's awesome because what did John the Baptist say to his disciples when Jesus came on the sea? Basically this, hey, behold the Lamb. Go get Him. Follow Him, not me. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I think very clearly as you, as you work through this, it's, it's impossible to identify exactly which one of those lambs John was referring to. He could have been referring to the Passover or the sin or, or the guilt or any of these type of lambs. I think very possibly it's just this, this general sense, the lamb that we see in the Old Testament, building to this point where it comes in, in redemptive history to John the Baptist, and he's like, that's the lamb. Well, why is this metaphor so crucial to all of human history? The lamb. Why is the lamb... Why is the lamb important to you and to me? Why? Well, we're going to focus on two reasons. One today and one next week. I want us to think about the reasons behind this. Why is this so important for you and me to grasp this concept of this sacrificial lamb? Well, here's the first one we're going to look at today. We're going to highlight three Old Testament texts, and then we're going to go to three New Testament texts. Some of them will spend a little longer than others, but down with your family maybe or in a class and you, you hear a story read, I'm going to read some longer portions of, of, of Scripture today. 
And I hope we can engage in these because this paints the picture of why this lamb is so important to us. Here's the first reason we're going to look at today. We're not going to try to complicate this. It's stated as is. Jesus is our perfect substitute for the payment of sin. We're going to try to wrap our minds around that in the next 25 minutes. Here it is. Let's start back in Genesis, and I'm just going to try to, you can go so many passages, I'm just going to try to snapshot some of these passages, starting in Genesis 22. And I have some of them on the back of your handout, but not in full, and actually I added Genesis 22 to your outline. Yesterday as I was working through this, the Holy Spirit of God, I believe through the Word, just encourages me as I prepare. And, and uh, the Word of God just comes alive, and I'm thinking, I can't withhold this passage. We got to go there. So that's what we're doing today. Let's go to Genesis 22. What is happening in Genesis 22? At one of those flagship. Constantly, what's happening in Genesis 22. All right. This is the story of the patriarch Abraham. All right. Uh, already in his life, he's obeyed God, he's gone from Ur. Uh, to the promised Canaan. He's already made that transition in his life, probably around 75 years old. He's been obedient to God, and God is constantly revealing more of his plan with Abraham. Uh, To kind of briefly summarize this, Abraham has received the promise of children, offspring. Remember this. Genesis 12, 15. You're going to have more offspring than you can count. Look at the sky. You're not going to be able to count it more than the stars. Okay, but now... I mean, think about his life. This 100-year-old Abraham was not a single child of promise. Wife, Sarah. And I think every night when Abraham went to bed, he's like, okay, God, really? Really? You promised this to me? Really? Where's the children? (laughs) To the point where he pretty much, I think, gives up. He tried to do it his own way through Ishmael. Very clearly, God said, that's not the plan. I am going to provide this child. And what happens is a hundred-year-old man. We find the miracle of this conception with Sarah and Abraham. We find the birth of Isaac. This is, this is the anticipation. Abraham's like, yes, I can trust God. I placed my faith in God. And, and by the way, that's highlighted all the way through in the New Testament. Abraham believed God and it was accounted for righteousness. All right? We find that in the New Testament. He put his faith in God and now it's like, thank you, God. You have substantiated my faith. You prove yourself real. I have a child, Isaac. And then what does God do some 15, 20 years later? Abraham. You know your son, your only son? By the way, there, there are so many similarities here in the redemptive plan of Almighty God pointing us straight to Jesus Christ. That son, that only son, I want you to take him. And you know that burnt offering you participate in? Your son this time is going to be the burnt offering. Can you imagine what was going on in Abraham's mind at this point? Let's read about this story. Start, uh, starting verse 1 of Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. 
and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall. A lot of commentators, a lot of um, students of the word will say that right there is what would be a thousand years later the spot of the temple, the temple mount. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day of travel, Abraham, uh, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Verse 5, then Abraham said to his young men, the servant men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Doesn't the faith of Abraham just ooze from this passage? The burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. Verse 7, And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father! Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abram said, God will provide. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, built the altar, found Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on the wood. And we're talking about very possibly a 15 to 20 year old young man. So Isaac's faith is being tested in this scenario as well. Verse 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Okay, if you travel into the New Testament and you write down Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19, it's clear that Abraham had so much faith that he, he, he knew if he would even kill this young man, that God was going to raise him from the dead. That's how much faith Abraham had. Verse 11, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, chill! <laughs> That's not what it says. Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was Abraham, caught in the thicket by by his horns. By By the way, how did that get there? God Almighty put it there. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering. These four words are four of the most important words in all of your Old Testament. Here it is. The last four words of of verse 13. Instead of his son. So Abraham called provide. Some of your translations will actually say it. Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. All right, what's the point here? I mean, there's so many cool points to this story. But a simple point to be made is this. God sovereignly provided, and here's the word, a substitute for Isaac. It's a substitute. So what we're doing is we've been conditioned now in the beginning of our Bibles to think about the concept of substitute. 
someone stepping in or something stepping in for someone else. In this past, I believe sacrifice. All right, we're going to go to another passage. You've got homework this week. In Egypt for 430 years. If you want an actual date, here's the date, 1446 B.C. That's when this story, Exodus 12, is happening. Through Moses, God was leading his people back to the land of promise. Remember the story of Moses and the call of Moses. That's where we're at. Moses steps back to Egypt. God had already afflicted Pharaoh. By the time of Exodus 12, God had already afflicted Pharaoh and Egypt with some crazy plagues. You can't come up with these things in your own imagination. <laughs> you read this and you're like, no way. This is some of the fa- my favorite material to read to my kids. The Nile turned to blood? The frogs? The flies? The darkness? I mean, that's not in this story. Remember the story because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. Catch this. Now death enters into the scenario. Death now is coming to Egypt. And remember what God Almighty to keep them from that death angel? Let's read about it. Verse 1 of Exodus 12. I don't think I included that on your handout, so you have The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. This, in other words, this is a very significant time. Remember this time. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Verse 3, Tell the, all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb. According to their, according to their father's house, is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to that, or to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole their lambs at twilight. All right, we're not tippy-toeing around stuff here. This is serious stuff. Verse 7, Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Here it is. Verse, I'm going to skip down. Pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. All the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. Why? Here's why I am the Lord. Verse 13 The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I, here it is. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. 
Wow. Okay, so what, how does this fit into the story of this sacrificial lamb? What is the point here? Here's a word. Appeasement. God's just punishment of rebellion would be appeased. A sacrifice would die and God's wrath would be appeased because of the rebellion of the people. And particularly, what was this appeasement? The blood. All right, so you see how we're, we're only in the second book of our Bibles and we're seeing this story set up. I, I want to... So many passages to go to, but I want to go, as, as I talked about, the most messianic passage in the Old Testament is Isaiah 53. Can we jump to three? If you would. Kids, you're doing awesome. Teens, you're doing awesome. Uh, everyone, you're doing awesome. Only a couple shut eyes here. <laughs> All right. Let's go to Isaiah 53 and let's see this story advance some more. We're talking about Jesus the substitute sacrifice, the Lamb of God. All right? In the redemptive story now, I mean, we're talking in, in Isaiah 700 years after Moses, so 1,400 years after Abraham, but still 700 years before Jesus. Okay? So this is still prophecy mode. 700 years before John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God. We have Isaiah. And Isaiah says this, the prophet, still waiting for the Messiah, giving us snapshots of Jesus. If you would look with me, man, I wish, let's just start in verse 3. Let's just see this, this Messiah described here. He was despised and rejected by man, by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. A real quick time out. In our minds, sometimes we see Jesus Christ walking around with a halo. <laughs> Everywhere in our minds, we think, oh boy. Now, this was a man who went through real. Like me. By the way, come back next week because we're going to talk about this. The suffering you're going through right now, as you go to Peter in the scriptures, it says, hey, get your head up. Why? Jesus went through those sufferings, he's the example. Nonetheless, back here in Isaiah 53, second part of verse 3, And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Verse 5, Enters in sin, transgression, iniquity into the discussion. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here it is. We're all sheep. We're all wounded. That's what we're working through in this life. And guess what God sent to fix the sheep? A sheep. That's the next part here. Verse uh, 7. A direct connection to the substitute lamb, Jesus Christ. 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep, he opened not his mouth. What's the point? Brothers and sisters in Jesus, Jesus is prophesied to be the substitute lamb for sin. All, you see, this is setting up all the way through the Old Testament. Okay. John 1, 29. Now, John the Baptist pronounces, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There's a lot of pre-matter that happens before that statement. I want us to do something, though. I'm going to go a little quicker through these New Testament passages. I want us to jump from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So this is after Jesus Christ came as the substitute. He died on the cross and rose again. I want us to go in our minds to Hebrews chapter 11. What is Hebrews? What is this book, Hebrews? Well, the author of Hebrews is writing to the Hebrew people, convincing them, and in some cases, reminding them that a system of worship offered in the Old Testament. All of this stuff is leading to Jesus, so remember that. Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of what's known as the Old Covenant. He has initiated a new covenant. And how? By personally, get this, by personally becoming a substitute sacrifice. I'm just going to read these passages. Hebrews 9, would you go with me to verse 12? For all, okay, we can circle those three words once for all. Wonderful words in nine and ten. For all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calf, calves, but by means of what? His own blood. Thus securing an eternal redemption. Verse 13, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinklings of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will Messiah, the promised one, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Verse 15, Therefore, He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promise and eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the sins or the transgressions committed under the first covenant. All right, there's a lot of words in there and I think it's summarized in verse 22. Jump down to verse 22 if you would. Indeed, under the law, Moses Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. What's the point? Christ is the ultimate substitute sacrifice. Look no further. Don't look further than Jesus Christ. Don't miss this. Don't. A lot more comments can be made, but let's jump into the next chapter, Hebrews 10. And I'm going to skip through some of these verses. Hebrews 10. I'll start in verse 1. For since the law, we're talking about the Old Testament ceremonial law of Moses, 
has but a shadow of good things to come instead of the form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Okay, catch this. These sacrifices, these daily sacrifices, and then the big one each year, those can never completely They had to continually sacrifice these things, these animals. Verse 4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Does not this remind you of what John the Baptist says in John 1.29 that we started off the sermon with? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Those sins are not going to be eternally taken away by the blood of goats and sheep. Who's the only sacrifice that will suffice? It is the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. And he continues on. Verse 10. Let's go to verse 10. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Here it is again. Once for all. Verse 11, and every priest stands daily. So not only every year, but daily. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Verse 14, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Um, how is this all happening? The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after that saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. Tying us right back to the promise of the new covenant. Okay, so what's the point here? I mean, you're going to have to dig in deeper this week in your study. We could spend a year on this passage. All right, what's the point? Jesus is the perfect, once-for-all sacrifice that has done away with the temporary, everyday, and even every year sin sacrifices. In other words, this. The Old Testament sacrifices, the substitute sacrifices, Christ's sacrifice brings eternal forgiveness. Jesus is our permanent substitute. Okay, one more passage. And this one's going to be very brief. By the way, good job so far interacting with these passages. We're almost done. Let's get to 1 Peter. Peter's reminding suffering believers of the significance of Christ's sacrifice, which, by the way, is what we should do every day of our lives. What's... What's the prescription through suffering? Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Okay, that is the prescription for suffering. And Peter says this. 1 Peter 1.18 Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile, way, futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold, those didn't buy your 
place and status before God? What bought your place before God? The precious blood of Christ. Okay, real quickly, there's a word, there's a term that Peter uses to describe Christ. It is this word, precious. He uses it more than once in, his, in this epistle. Precious. This is something of immeasurable value. The precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or without spot. Christ, the perfect lamb, became the substitute sacrifice for you and me. And this should be overwhelmingly precious to us. Jesus hung there so that you don't have to hang there. So that I don't have to hang there. Christ, the perfect lamb, suffered agonizing death on the cross. This is not some Disney story. This happened. Jesus was bruised and broken for you and for me. It's no wonder that John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus Christ walking, said, behold, there he is. Hey, don't put your attention on me. I'm just the forebearer. Look to him. Behold the Lamb of God. He's the one that can take away the sins of the world. Let's close this out. So what? So what? Well, I want to make this very personal right now. I honestly know, I believe, I honestly believe there's some that are sitting here right now that have been wrestling with your eternal destiny, your relationship with God, Christ for weeks now. The question is this. Have you trusted in the Lamb of God to take away your sins? Hebrews 10, back to this passage. I'll just read two verses. Talking about, this is, we're not just talking about a, a temporary covering, we're talking about an eternal forgiveness. Verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers, and we're talking about unbelieving Jews, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, and if you kind of work down to verse 22, he says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. How do we interact? With this Lamb. You place your faith in this Lamb. He is the one that can take away the sins of the world. If you have never come to Jesus Christ in faith, would today be that day? I know there's multiple people listening on the radio. Would you come to Jesus today? There's some that are logged on on the internet, sitting there on your couch right now. Would you come to Jesus today? And you will be saved. But I don't want to stop there. For those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, yes, this is a very evangelistic type sermon. Yes, this entire study is very evangelistic type. This whole look to Jesus. But Jesus' sacrifice is not just sufficient to get us into relationship with God. Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient to keep us in a relationship with God. What do we do every single day? 
And so here's the question I have for you and for myself. How precious is the blood of Jesus Christ for you? Peter writing this, and I can imagine as he's penning the words to this through the Holy Spirit, talking about the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I believe these authors showing true emotion. I think tears would flood down his face thinking about what Jesus Christ did for him. My friends, let us preach that to ourselves every day. When we're towards this anger. Manifest the, the works of the flesh. Would you run to the fact that Jesus' blood is precious? He died for you and for me. Dads and moms in this room, would you teach your children that Jesus' blood sacrifice is precious? Grandmas and grandpas in this room, would you teach your children and your grandchildren, would you remind them that Jesus' blood is precious? Example of how to handle suffering. That is what we're going to look at next week. Not only is he, not only is this lamb our perfect substitute for sin, he is our perfect example for suffering. Come back next week and we're going to glean some more of this concept of the Lamb of God. As our faith is tested, we must fix on the Lamb. Interact with your word today. Thank you for the truths of your word as deep as it might get. I want to thank you that you have privileged us with your word to guide us, to guard us. And I pray that every single one of us as we leave this building today would be overwhelmed of the Lamb of God.